Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast. My name is James Evely and I'm the editor of In Publishing. My guest this time is Ed Walker, Audience and Content Director for Regionals at Reach. Ed is passionate about local journalism and has worked at many of Reach's publishing sites across the UK. Ed tells us why local journalists shouldn't stand on the sidelines. I think it's important for local journalism as a whole that we shouldn't always just stand back and and say, oh, look at the terrible state of whatever it may be. We need to be offering solutions. We need to be offering uh, ways for readers to to show that they are engaging in that in that topic, be that leaving a comment, signing a petition, whatever it may be. And it probably sounds very old fashioned, but in a digital in a digital environment, you know that can happen at a, at a tap of a button. About the competitive challenges facing the news media sector. You know, we're in a very competitive industry. We're in a very competitive attention space. You know, you think about the amount of things that are competing on your phone for your attention all the time. How can how can we cut through and make sure that that our content is getting in front of you and getting your attention? And how publishers like Reach can build a sustainable future. You become sustainable by being relevant to people. If you're relevant to people, then you'll be sustainable because they're willing to read your content they're willing to engage with you and and they'll stick with you um, if they feel that you're relevant and they feel that they can trust you and I think you know I like to think our brands are are very trustworthy they're very respected and they're trusted in their communities amongst many other things but first a quick word about our valued sponsors we would like to thank our podcast sponsor Advantage CS a leading global provider a subscription and membership management software. Capabilities include marketing, sales, payments, and customer relationship software for publishers, membership associations, and information providers. For more information, go to advantagecs.com. Ed Walker holds two senior positions at Reach. He is audience and content director for the regionals, and also editor-in-chief of their hyperlocal platform in your area. On LinkedIn, these are both listed as full-time jobs. He is also leader-in-residence for journalism at the University of Central Lancashire, which I'm really hoping is part-time. Ed Walker, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Hello, James. Good afternoon and uh, nice to be with you. Now, you are, as I mentioned then, you're your audience and content director and also editor-in-chief of In Your Area, which sounds like two very busy roles. What are your responsibilities and how do you divide up your time? Yeah, uh, it is a it is a big responsibility, and uh, very very proud that that Reach uh, put me in, in both of those positions. Um, it's not it's not uncommon within Reach uh, for people to hold hold dual responsibilities, uh, and you know the reason that that I'm able to to do both of those because I have a fantastic team uh, that that I work with um, and work for me. Um, I look after our network team who work across uh, all of our live network of of websites. Uh, and provide provide support and and content to them. Uh, our late news desk operation as well um, that provides support to uh, about twenty five uh, of our titles. Uh, also have our central video team. Um, we centralised our video operation uh, during the course of the uh, the pandemic, um, and they uh, they service uh, the vast majority of our of our titles with video uh, video content. Uh, and you know each of those teams has fantastic managers. Uh, Dan Smith, who heads up our network team, Ruth Ovens, uh, our late news desk, and um, Ben Hurst, who heads up our, our video operation. 
I always say, you, you know, you're only as good as the the team around you. Uh, and I'm very lucky to have a fantastic team there on the on the live network. Uh, and in your area, um, it's led by by our editor Tom Gibbon, working closely with our with our product team there. Um, and they do a fantastic job. Our in your area communities team. So, you know, my responsibilities are, are making sure that those teams know what they're doing, uh, know that we're we're heading in the right direction. Um, and I work closely with our audience and content directors in each of the geographic regions. Um, we have some absolutely fantastic uh, senior leaders across our across our regionals division, uh, and I'm proud to to work as part of that team, uh, working uh, on making sure that brands like the Manchester Evening News, you know, our new brands like Sussex Live, um, you know, are, are getting to where they need to be in terms of finding a sustainable future uh, for for regional journalism. And of, of those of those two responsibilities, you know, which takes up most of your time? Have you editor in chief of in your area, or, or the the audience and content side? Uh, that can vary massively day to day, James. It it really does depend on um, on what's happening. Um, sometimes uh, both both of those responsibilities come together in in certain initiatives. So um, one thing we're increasingly doing at, at Reach is is making sure that when we do run campaigns. Um, that we're running them across, you know, our nationals division, also our regionals division. Um, and then there's a hyper-local element to them uh, within your area as well. So sometimes, you know, both of those hats can can be worn at once. Uh, you know, other times it, it's very much being focused on the on the video aspect of what we're doing or um, where we're doing new launches into, into territories, then my team uh, will support and make sure that um, we're, we're giving the support to those newsrooms on the ground uh, to do the best possible uh, local journalism that, that we can. And your career to date has taken you around the country. I think you've worked in Liverpool, Cardiff, Reading and Chester and, and maybe other places too. Um, what have been the key milestones and pivotal moments along the way in your career? I'm very lucky to have worked in, uh, well, when it was Trinity Mirror, I, I worked in pretty much all of the large uh, regional newsrooms at, at some point during the early part of my my career. Um, and I'm forever grateful for for everyone who offered me advice during during those periods. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with some absolutely fantastic uh, journalists um, over over many years in Trinity Mirror, and then and then obviously Reach. Um, I suppose the the pivotal points that I would I would pick out um, the first thing would be would be starting the hyperlocal news site blog Preston in Preston in Lancashire, where I trained at the University of Central Lancashire. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about that a bit a bit later on. Uh, you know about how I'm giving back to that. Um, you know, setting up a hyperlocal site there in the space of a year, it grown growing very rapidly. Um, and I was doing some freelance work as well uh, at that time. Uh, and then a role came up at, at Media Wales, um, at Wales Online, uh, to join their digital team there. Um, that was back end of, of 2009, that would have been. And I applied for that. Um, I, I actually uh, bunk, bunked off work that day. I was doing I was doing some some shift work, and I, I bunked off for that day and took the long train down from Preston to Cardiff. Uh, had to make that awkward uh, "I'm ill" phone call in the uh, in the gents' toilets at, uh, at Crew Station. Uh, and I was interviewed by Mike Hill, who was who was the head of multimedia at that time, and Tim Gordon, who was the editor of Wales Online. Uh, and I and I landed the job uh, to join the digital team at, at Wales Online. And I spent uh, nearly two years in Cardiff, and that was um, an absolutely fantastic grounding in in not just digital journalism, but but journalism in general. Um, you know, a great newsroom to to work in because um, you've got uh, national titles, you've got Wales Online, uh, you've got the local titles in in the South Wales Echo, and 
at that time, the newsroom was just becoming integrated. Um, so you, you really did work across everything. Uh, and it was an absolutely fantastic, um, you know, training and, and grounding experience. And I loved every second of, of being in Cardiff. Um, and then I guess the, the next sort of milestone for me was moving to London at that point. So I then moved into um, Trinity Mirror Regional Central team, uh, which at the time there was um, three or four of us. Um, there's, there's a lot more now, um, but at that time, that kind of central editorial team uh, was uh, was about three or four of us, uh, and I started to uh, to work as part of that um, and rolled out RE Scenic uh, CMS at that point. Um, so it, that took me to newsrooms up and down the country, uh, working with those working with those teams. And I think at that point, very early, you know, in my career, that gave me exposure to lots of different editors, lots of different newsrooms, lots of different ways of doing things. Um, so that when the kind of opportunity came to then be uh, editor in Reading as we went digital only um, in that was two back end of 2014, um, you know I was only 27 I think, uh, and and I was an editor and I was told you're turning off the paper and you're going digital only and here's the team you're going to have, um, you know and off we went and um, you know rapidly accelerated the digital audience there uh, and. You know, I was very lucky that I was able to draw on a lot of those experiences that I'd had across the country for for the way that that I wanted to do to do local journalism in in Reading at that point. Uh, and then after that, I've, I've worked in in lots of other newsrooms, uh, led lots of other um, strategic projects uh, for Reach over the years. Um, and I'd say probably the other the other pivotal one was uh, I went to Birmingham uh, for a couple of months in uh, 2016. It was. Uh, we very rapidly grew the audience of, of the Birmingham Mail website as it was then uh, ahead of it uh, changing to to Birmingham Live, um, and that was that was a very a formative couple of months for for me as well. Working in you know one of the biggest biggest newsrooms in a senior position, um, you know I really really enjoyed that. So at Birmingham Live, you say you you grow, grew the audience hugely. What what were the kind of the key ingredients to, to growing the audience? I think I mean this was back in twenty twenty sixteen. This was and. Uh, we kind of really, really doubled down on on the engagement on the Facebook page at that time. Um, just you know, really straightforward things like making sure we responded to people's tip offs and messages really quickly in the Facebook inbox. Um, you know, there's absolutely great stories coming in, and, and and they weren't being spotted and they weren't being turned around quickly because we we're kind of operating in in, in a quite a traditional way. Um, so you know, it was just about you know, there's all these great stories out there. There's always great communities in somewhere like Birmingham, for example, to engage with. Um, and really starting to to double down on that and and also make sure that your content editors, your reporters, they're really embracing that that digital publishing system and that digital publishing change. Um, and a lot of the time, that's just about taking that extra five, 10 minutes to to explain something to someone about you know why we're doing something, why we're uh, why we're making a, a change or doing something differently. Um, and, and we really did start, start to see the audience move move very very quickly at, at that time. Now, onto in your area, which is I understand a hyper local news service on on a national scale. Um, can you tell us how a bit more about it and how you put it together? Sure. Well, first of all, I, ca- I can't take any credit for it, James. I think that's the most important thing. Um, so it was developed uh, in 2017. Um, by um, Darren Schur, um, who's now our group product director, 
um, and some people who are much cleverer and much smarter than, than myself, some web developers. Um, and it, um, it allows you to put in your postcode. Um, it receives some Google DNI funding at that time. Um, it allows you to put in your postcode uh, and it connects you with news information that's happening uh, very much on on your doorstep. Um, and it's kind of it's grown, you know, grown a bit since since 2017. Uh, and then towards the back end of, of 2019, uh, you know, we made a, a large investment as reach uh, in it because uh, we see it as a great way of, of connecting communities on that really local level. Uh, and then two, three months after I'd been made editor in chief of it um, and we were starting to make some changes to it, then COVID happened. Uh, and obviously, you, James, you couldn't go much further than your doorstep, could you? Um, so suddenly um, that really kind of hyper local, really local information became became crucial. Uh, and in your area really came into its own at that point. We were able to you know, put your postcode in and see the exact COVID picture near you. Um, so suddenly that, you know, kind of the growth plans that we'd had for in your area um, started to happen very, very uh, rapidly. Um, and we've uh, we've grown that exponentially. We've we've seen a, a tenfold increase in in our registered users to in your area uh, in the space of a year. Kind of what we were expecting to happen within your area, perhaps over the course of two to three years, uh, you know, happened in in a matter of months. Uh, and that's testament to the to the development team, but also the way that it that it works uh, with our live network as well. It, it provides that additional information on our on our live network article pages, so that readers are able to get the crime stats you know the covid um picture near them uh, the weather forecast what's on information it's really kind of bringing all that that rich information about a neighborhood um together in, in one place for people to to engage with uh, and we've got some, some big ambitions for it um particularly around what it can do to kind of enable and, and connect communities uh, and we had lots and lots of plans pre-pandemic for it. Um, and hopefully, you know, now touch wood, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually touching the desk at this point, you know, touch wood, we are hopefully uh, returning to some sort of normality, which which will allow us to now, you know, put some of those those plans in place. So can you tell us a bit more about those plans or, or are they all under wraps? Um, I, I, one of them that um, you know, I'm happy to talk about is we're really looking at what our what's on offering can look like both on our live network and also on in your area um you know nightclubs reopen on the 21st of june i'm sure you'll be straight down there james um you know it, we're hoping we're hoping that pe- people are going <laughs> to people are going to go out again we're going to actually be able to go to different events and venues and and do things um and we had lots of plans in in that area um and we weren't we weren't able to to activate those uh, so we've got a big overhaul of our uh, what's on uh, offering uh, coming up uh, we partner with the list.co.uk um, who provide a lot of our our what's on information um, so we'll really be be revamping that during the course of um, during the course of the summer um, obviously hopeful hopeful that the uh, the roadmap stays in place and uh, and we're able to uh, to give that to our audience so it sounds like most of the content on the site is pulled together through through content deals w- with third parties or through your for your other for, from your own network. Yeah, we we pull in content uh, from a whole range of different sources. So um, we obviously have the content coming in from from Reach publications. Uh, there's content coming through um, from third party uh, publications, you know, big and big and small. Um, and we send send traffic back um, to those in in terms of a traditional 
traditional aggregator. We also pull in a lot of other sources, um, so council websites, um, you know, weather listings, traffic listings. There's lots of different sources that go in um, to, to making up an in-your-area feed, property prices, crime stats. Um, you know, you'd be amazed how much kind of publicly available data there now is. Um, and that's really one of in your area's great strengths, I believe, is it brings it all together into that into that snapshot view for people to be able to to get a view on their postcode. And I believe you've you've uh, the, the site is taking on more of a kind of campaigning role because I know you've done some work on the uh, on the trying to prevent the littering of the countryside. And you um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I think that's one of the things I identified when I became editor in chief of in your area is. Um, you know, it, it does have, although it's a hyper-local uh, offering, you've got an enormous number of people using it. And so it's a great opportunity where there are kind of local issues um, that have a national scale, things like littering, um, for us to to really get people mobilized, um, you know, signing petitions um, or lobbying about things. Um, so we set up the Don't Trash Our Future campaign last summer. Um, I'm sure lots of your your listeners will remember the scenes on Bournemouth Beach um, during the course of the uh, the end of the first lockdown. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Um, but sort of, you know, there's that relaxation and everyone went to the beach and then they all left their rubbish behind and, and everyone was absolutely fuming and incandescent. Uh, and we thought, well, we, we need to do something about this. So we partnered with, with Clean Up Britain uh, and we launched a petition calling on the government to raise the fixed penalty notice um, for littering to a thousand pounds, it's currently one hundred and fifty pounds, um, and hardly ever enforced. And so uh, we've got more than sixty thousand signatures on that on that petition now. And I think it's really important that you know, I think it's important for local journalism as a whole that we shouldn't always just stand back and and say, oh, look at the terrible state of whatever it may be. We need to be offering solutions. We need to be offering uh, ways for readers to to show that they are engaging in that in that topic, be that leaving a comment, signing a petition, whatever it may be. And it probably sounds very old fashioned, but in a digital in a digital environment, you know that can happen at a, at a tap of a button. Uh, so let's make sure that we're giving people that that opportunity. And the great thing about the Don't Trash Our Future campaign is that we had the support of those reach titles as well. Um, so we're able to embed the petition within that content. So suddenly, you know, reading a story on the Express website or the Manchester Evening News and, and being irate about litter, you're then presented with this opportunity through through in your area to to go and do something about it. Um, and we've run a number of campaigns during the course of the pandemic, um, and we're just working uh, with the Mirror actually on on a COVID local local heroes one, um, which we're hoping will will turn into a special supplement in the Mirror as well. And that's all about, you know, celebrating those people who've gone gone the extra mile during the pandemic. There's been an enormous amount of volunteering. You know, I know so many people who who have been COVID marshals or who have done the done the shopping for their neighbours down the street. And, you know, through in your area, we can find those really kind of localised heroes. And then we can use the power of, of the reach network um, to give them, you know, give them that national spotlight and that recognition that, that they so much deserve. Uh, and how does in your area as a site dovetail with your other regional sites? Um, well, it's a it's a very different uh, sort of content mix. Obviously, it's very very much concerned with your uh, with your neighbourhood. You know, you put your postcode in, and it will show you content specifically about um, you know within a radius of of where you live. Um, that's that's quite different to our to our live network. Um, you know, if you're in somewhere like Bristol, for example, 
put your postcode in in, in your part of Bristol and, and you'll see stories relevant to that area. Um, you might see some wider uh, Bristol coverage as well. Uh, whereas if, if you go to the Bristol live site, you'll see a very different content mix. Um, you know, a really basic one is we don't pull any football content through to in your area, for example. It's purely about that kind of news and what's on uh, information. Whereas if you go to one of our one of our live sites, you'll see a whole mix from what's on to uh, UK and world news to uh, kind of wider geography news for wherever you are on our on our live network, you know, to football. Uh, to in-depth investigations, uh, whereas in your area is that kind of showcase of, of that really localised uh, content. So, I mean, this might be a basic question, but if somebody goes to, let's say, Belfast Live and sees the link to in your area in the navigation bar, do you, do you, do you want them to stay on the site, go to in your live, or, or do you not have a preference? Uh, I think that's up up to the reader on, on what they want to do. And I, I think that's that's often one of the mistakes that that we make as as publishers is, is almost trying to force readers to do something, um, you know, give people a choice and, and let them engage with us in in the way that they want to engage with us. For for some people, they might they might be perfectly happy, um, you know, engaging within your area, and then when they do see things about their their local area, that's that's when they engage more with with Belfast Live or wherever it may be. Um, but I think for the vast majority of of people, they'll they'll enjoy they'll enjoy both experiences um you know getting their very very localized news but then people people want that broader view uh, you know of everything that's going on in belfast and you know and that's why we still have national titles people people aren't just interested in what's going on in their locality they're interested in what's going on elsewhere as well and uh, and around the world so you know it's really important that people get that that whole mix of mix of content and they're able to access different different publishing experiences now, the, the live network, um, I, I believe, started in 2015 with the launch of Belfast Live. And now I think most of your local sites come un, under the live network. How does this represent a change to what went before? Um, I think, it, you know, it's live by name and it, it's live by nature in terms of uh, we run a lot of uh, live blogs. Um, we, um, you know, the, the content mix is really, really geared at, having that really strong local content but ensuring that it that it's reaching a lot of people um, and that we don't just run local content on our sites we recognize that there's a place um, for for UK and world news and and there always has been on on regional titles as well um, you know we've got 19 new live sites during the course of, of 2020 and, and more to come uh, so yeah it's got live in in the name but it's really about making sure that those newsrooms are are audience focused are, are digitally focused um, and that that's been the real change that kind of began with with Belfast was obviously digital digital only proposition uh, in Belfast that has enjoyed fantastic growth and you know all credit to Chris Sherrard Nathan Hanna and Ryan Smith and Joanne McGreevy the, the team in Belfast they've done an amazing job there it's now the largest uh, commercial news website uh in in belfast indeed if, if not in all of northern ireland as well uh, and they just won the regional press award for for best uh, sorry the best regional site at the drum awards as well uh in the uh the last couple of weeks so fantastic credit to them and it all goes back to to being responsive i think um you know one of the things i remember chris saying when they set it up was they replied to every facebook message that they got you know and that, and that takes some doing for a regional newsroom um, and they were getting a lot, a lot of messages, um, and they still do now. And so I think for me, the the live network uh, is, you know, we give people what they want to read, and we find you know ways to get that content to them. 
not just through the sites, but through social media, through search, um, through new and emerging platforms, you know, through email newsletters. Um, it's about making sure that our journalism reaches, you know, as many people as possible and, and that it engages them. And in terms of future plans, will all your sites eventually come under the live network or will there be some which have a, a different branding and a different approach? All of our, all of our sites are within the live network. Uh, not all of them carry that that live banner. Um, you know, some of them are known just outside of their outside of their location, um, such as Liverpool Echo or, or Manchester Evening News. You know, they're international brands in in their own right. Um, so, you know, at this stage, there's no intention of of changing those. Um, we are launching new new live sites. You know, by the end of this year, we will have um, you know every county in England and Wales uh, receiving coverage through one of our one of our live network uh, of sites. You know, and for me personally, that's that's a huge change from from where we were uh, in in 2010 when when I joined the company. Um, and it's been fantastic to be be a part of that that growth. Um, and yeah, there's there's new launches coming this year. We, we've announced that we're hiring and, and we're launching in a, in a number of counties, and that's fantastic to see that investment, you know, in local journalism. And obviously, we've seen uh, we've seen investment now from other publishers uh, in different geographies as well. So you know, it's great that that we're investing and we're growing, uh, and it's great to see others uh, growing and investing as well. And and certainly does feel uh, feel like people are really looking at, at local and going, you know, that there's really something there, um, you know, and I'm. I'm pleased that that we're doing that uh, and that others are also doing it as well. And do, do you think that that's a change of, of view uh, when you say people are now looking at local? Were they not doing that a few years ago? And if they weren't, what, what has caused the change? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously a, a, lot's, a lot's been written, a lot's been said, obviously, about print decline. Um, and I think there was always concerns around, you know, will, will digital pay? And I think we've really shown a reach that, we can launch these digital only propositions and they can pay their way. You know, um, you look at Belfast, you look at a number of our other sites you know, we're, and we're getting that sustainability now where we're able to then invest in, in digital roles. Um, and I think that's, that's a really encouraging place uh, to be um, that we're able to, to drive through that, uh, through that programmatic uh, revenue model uh, and see investment in our, in our regional brands. That's a fantastic place to be. Um, perhaps compared to to a few years ago, and there's been a huge amount of work on on the commercial side to see that coming through. Now, uh, I know you interviewed um, Emma Callahan recently, who was who was on your podcast, and you know our national sales house within Reach makes a massive difference to us being able to invest at scale in our in our local journalism, and that and that's a really uh, positive thing for us as a company in that we have this network of local titles. We obviously have our our national brands as well, who we work closely with, um, but they also recognise the strength of having these these strong titles and also these newer titles across the country as well. And being able to start working as as one network across reach um, has been a really sort of key thing that we've done uh, during the course of of our transformation process last year, and and we're really starting uh, to see see a lot of benefits of that. And as audience and content director, what what would you say are your main goals, your main objectives? Uh, my main objectives, um, you know, obviously, first of all, is is making sure that our teams are, are happy and healthy. Um, it's not been the easiest year, um, so you know, making sure that our good people, you know, our people are are, are supported, um, and that that's what I try and do as a as a leader and as a as a manager, making sure people are clear on on what they need to do, 
Um, obviously, we've got our, our new launches coming, so that, that will require a lot of effort and, and support from our teams. Um, so making sure that we're, we're set up for that. Uh, we, need, we need to strive towards our audience targets that we have um, because hitting those ensures we can, we can get that sustainability for where we need to get to. Uh, and I think a key thing is is always keeping an eye out for for new things and, and new ways of doing things. Uh, I think one of our strengths in reach is that we've been able to adopt you know new and different working practice quite quickly and scale those across across our network. Um, and I always see that as one of one of my objectives. I need to help uh, help people to understand you know the changes that we're making or the changes that we need to make. Um, you know, and never stop experimenting either. Um, you know, we. We still have challenges. Every, every publisher does, and I think the day we stop experimenting is is when we'll be in real trouble. Um, so my objectives, you know, looking after our looking after our teams, looking after our people, um, making sure our newsrooms are, are supported. That's a big part of what my what my central kind of editorial duties are. Um, you know, making sure that our newsrooms up and down the country feel they have the support of our teams to go and do the best best possible local journalism that they can. Um, you know, and in terms of in terms of in your area, my objectives there. That's it's still a relatively new brand, um, even though it's been around since 2017. You know, we've got a huge amount of work there to do to grow that grow that further. We've we've had some early success um, during the pandemic, but we now need to build on that um, and really take it to the to the next level. And if you look at the entirety of your output across, you know, all your all your local sites, what what would you like to see more of? I want to see our journalists getting back out there. You know, we've we're not been able to go and do sit down chats in the front rooms of of people about you know about human interest stories. You know that you, it's not as easy to do that at the moment <laughs> because of the restrictions. And we know how well those stories do. Um, you know, for me, kind of live coverage out of the scenes. You know, that's the absolute absolute lifeblood of what we do on the live network. You know, we still do do that, um, but I think um, because of uh, because of what's happened during the pandemic, uh, we perhaps haven't, haven't been out and about as much. Um, and I think that will really start to change, you know, as the restrictions relax and more people are out and about. You've got events to go to to cover again, um, you know, things starting to happen uh, in those in those communities to be covered. So for me, I, I think we'll see that real shift in our in our output coming back towards that uh, as the restrictions um, as the restrictions start to ease, because to me that's that's the lifeblood of of what we do and it's absolutely crucial that our that our teams are are doing that you obviously have local journalism in your blood what is it that particularly appeals to you about it i think for me i think back to when i was a teenager growing up in in south london um i can remember i was part of a a, a cooperative that was putting on gigs for young people in in south london um, and we thought we were very cool at that time, James. Um, we were like sort of 16, 17. And uh, I remember that we, we got invited onto the um, BBC London uh, show, a radio show, and it was Vanessa Feltz who was interviewing us. And I thought, wow, this is this is cool, isn't it? Uh, and I remember speaking to the journalist who'd set up the story and then he did a bit of a story about, about what we were doing. And I thought, I thought, God, imagine having this to do as a job. Um, and I... And I applied to do journalism at, at UCLan in Preston and, and study study here, um, and I, I just really enjoyed it. And I, you know, I think we can make a difference uh, with what we do. And sometimes that's a big difference, and sometimes it's a small difference. Um, and I think for me, those are always the the best days in journalism is when you can see what you're doing 
is making a difference in in people's lives you know that could be could be a campaign or or it could just be that you've you've covered that an event is coming up and that organizer emails you and says yeah we had we had 200 odd people turn up and we thought we were going to get six um you know that you know you can make a difference in those communities um and that to me i guess is is what really really appeals to me about it and if you look back over your career are there any kind of standout moments of, of that kind of you know making a difference um you know that personal touch any kind of instances or incidents which you know uh, particularly resonate um well, i've wrapped my brains now <laughs> um, no there are um <laughs> put there you are, on the spot yeah there are a lot um i i'd say um a lot of what i did in, in preston in the early days of uh, of blog preston um you know still still stays with me there's a lot of sort of council reporting um uh, you know there was i can remember covering a um covering a planning uh, committee um and all the different kind of objections to it and things like that and and i can remember someone addressing the planning committee and and just saying well if you've read all those comments on blog preston and all the stories on that um you know you you almost have to reject this application and then i think they did um so i think it it just reminds you that you know people do read people do read what you do um and the worst thing that really annoys my my wife is if we go somewhere in Preston and someone spots me and so oh yeah you you ran that blog Preston site didn't you and then my wife's like oh god he's gonna have to talk about that now isn't he um you know she she hates that <laughs> um <laughs> but no I remember I can remember getting my first front page of the South Wales Echo I can't actually remember what it was so that's really bad um but I can remember it took me about six months to get on the uh, on the front page and um. I had some fantastic support from from David James, who's now the head of news there. And there was a reporter called Pete Law who really taught me the way to look at um, council agendas and council documents to find the stories. Um, and that, you know, that for me, it was like it's like a light bulb went on. You know, I could suddenly read a licensing list and a planning list and, and find the stories that would be of interest to people. Um, uh, and Pete was Australian, so he told me in no certain terms what a good story was and what a good story wasn't. Um, and I think you know when you when you're new in the industry, you need that need that guiding hand to show you show you what a good story is and and what one isn't. Now, the, now the recent local elections um, were obviously a huge news day, I'm sure for your for all your titles. What do you think were the standout moments from your coverage of of those of those elections? Um, it was. It was an enormous effort from our teams because it was, it was like a double election because they were rolled over from the previous year, um, and they seemed to go on forever with the uh, <laughs> with the counting. Um, you know, behind behind all good news coverage, there's a spreadsheet. Um, so we had um, tools from our data unit and from in your area that allowed people to see the local results uh, where they were, um, and we had our reporters and our teams inputting those local results. So that was an enormous effort. You know, and those tools were used and, and viewed millions of times across our network uh, during that during that period last week. Um, so I'm really proud of everyone who worked on that project, um, you know, to take local democratic information and, you know, make it readable and accessible for people. Um, our live coverage was superb, uh, brilliant coverage across our across our network. You know, obviously in our, our large areas like Manchester, for example, we had very, very strong um, live blogs with from different counts that were going on at, at different councils, and then obviously you've got the mayoral elections as well on the next day. 
Um, so just the stamina of our teams and to that consistent quality reporting was was fantastic. Um, and also seeing a lot of our newer areas that we're covering, like Hampshire, for example, really breaking through with their coverage. Their their live coverage was performing really strongly um, during the course of the local election. So great to see kind of you know, real historic places like Manchester that we've covered for a long time doing well, but also those those newer brands like Yorkshire, Hampshire, etc., all coming through with really strong results uh, from their audience numbers on that on that coverage. Um, so in terms of standout moments, I mean, that there's so many uh, from individual reporters, you know, at counts going that extra mile. I think there was one guy covering the police and crime commission, commissioner election in, um, I think it was Devon. And it went on a very, very, very long time. And he was, you know, he was there till the end because that's what we do. You can't leave till the results there. Um, so, you know, just all credit to our teams. And again, that that central support that we have means that we can undertake what was the largest ever set of election results for our teams you know utilizing feeds of content from the press association from uh from our own reporters in the field as well bringing it all together and making sure that particularly for our wales and scottish titles that their home pages look like there was a general election going on because those parliamentary elections in wales and in scotland you know should be as big as a, as a general election um, for those devolved nations. So, you know, really proud of, of everything that went into it. Uh, we saw the results in our audience numbers and also in how many people engage with our coverage, either through going through to in your area to explore more about the results in their area, um, or particularly signing up for our email newsletter alerts off the back of our coverage, um, which allows us to build, you know, that direct relationship uh, with our readers away from uh, the social media platforms or, or, or through search platforms. And on reflection, you know, with all the results in and, you know, reviewing performance and which obviously sounds, which sounds extremely good. Anything you'll do differently next time at the next set of elections? Uh, I think we underestimated how long the counting would go on for. <laughs> um, so hopefully we don't have to experience that again. Um, you know, because all a lot because of COVID, a lot of the counting was the next day, um, you know, on the Friday. And then some places split it up into the Saturday. Then there was a Monday. Um, so I think we probably underestimated the impact that that, that would have on our on our setting up and our and our staffing. So um, definitely some, some lessons for next time. If I imagine some of the councils will want to want to continue the daytime counting rather than that that buzz of the overnight count that perhaps journalists like but maybe uh, councils and, and the audience aren't as aren't as bothered about because they're, they're not journalists um so I, I think definitely some lessons there um we probably could have got some of the um some of the pre-planning stuff out out a bit earlier um in terms of our advanced coverage of it um, we, we did do some hustings. Uh, so we held virtual, a lot of our newsrooms held virtual hustings through um, through Facebook uh, and other virtual platforms. I think there's even more we could do with that next time, um, both on our sites and also on, on social media platforms uh, to really engage people in local politics. And we also ran a really, I think, interesting um, pilot project where we took on some hyper-local uh, election reporters in a number of different geographies. Uh, across the country where historically there have been very, very low turnout. Um, and we covered those areas with intensity um, and we're still looking at the numbers um, for those places, but whether we've been able to uh, increase the, the voter turnout by engaging people in local issues. So it's not about getting people to vote for one party. It's about getting people to just vote in their local elections because uh, turnout is historically low in some places. Um, so I think 
take some learnings from that and that might be something that we look to repeat next year on on a more wider scale or or learn some lessons that we can weave into our into our coverage in in other places now as i as i think we've already mentioned you were also a leader in residence for journalism at the university of central lancashire um where you're obviously i presumably helping to bring on the next generation of journalists what advice do you give new journalists coming into the newsroom yeah i was really honored to take on that position at, at uclan i've um been sort of heavily involved in in the course since since i left i think it's important to give something back to places that that have helped you um so they set up this leader in residence scheme and they kind of use us as as a bit of a sounding board if they're making changes to the course or we go back and do uh, guest lectures or panel debates or work with them on their on their news days um and i've always found that that quite fun and it's also really useful for for talent spotting as well we've got some big titles in the northwest um and it's been great to see some people who've who've come through those uclan courses then going on to on to success with with reach uh, and with other places as well so you know take take a lot from that you know and i remember the people who helped me when i started out and i think if if you can give people that helping hand um you know they they remember it uh, along the way so i always think that's important you know in terms of the advice i give people um is to remember that you know stories are about people ultimately um so you've always got to try and find find that people line uh to stories you can get a getting a planning application and you know you look through it and you think oh well that's the story you know who's the person behind the planning application why are they doing it always asking those those extra questions and building those those contacts and that rapport with people um you know not always uh face to face a lot of the time you're doing that over the phone or, or over email um so it's just a lot of the time it's, it's giving those those trainee journalists the confidence um, to pursue stories that they want to pursue, pick up the phone, ask the questions. Um, and there's always that that kind of fear of failure, I guess. And it, it's making sure that, that as a journalist, you, you're not you're not scared of the fact that someone might say no and might not get back to you. And they might not get back to you straight away, but they pop up two days later. You've got that quote and suddenly you've got that story on that news list that's, that's leading your website or your paper or whatever it may be. Um, and that's because you had that confidence to ask that ask that question or ask that extra question so you know that's that's the advice i i give to them and and also just not narrowing yourself too early and i think there's sort of two schools of thought on this in in journalism people like find a specialism find the thing that you love uh, i'm firmly i think in the other camp which is do the do the general stuff you know be a be a more general reporter or a more general digital reporter you know and then find find the thing that really interests you um and and then go after that um, but I, I can see the merits in, in the other route as well. Um, but I, I do think that kind of, you know, being the jack of all trades and having to do, you know, do stories, frankly, you didn't want to do. It all teaches you, you know, good skills um, for the for the years ahead of you. And, and sometimes in, you know, in journalism, in life in general, you have to do things you don't want to do. Um, and it's it's important that you, um, you know, that you recognize you have you have to do that. Now, when it comes to the publication of content, speed is obviously an issue, um, getting stuff up there quickly onto the sites. Um, is there anything you would like to change in the way you, you, you in your publishing processes, your workflows to, to facilitate quicker publishing, or is that not an issue? I think that's always that's always a challenge for journalists. You know, we'll think we'll, we think we fa- we think we're fast and and we want to be faster. Um, you know, but you've got to be accurate at the same time. Um, I do think there are there are improvements we could make to help journalists file from the field, particularly as we 
as we start to go out more. That's obviously kind of been on the back burner a bit during COVID because uh, certainly been less of an issue because you're covering a government press conference on a YouTube live stream. Um, you know, that's a bit different. Um, so I do think there's there's definitely some some scope to improve um, our ability to publish um, mobile first um, or app first um, and the tools that our journalists have to have to do that. Um, you know, we should never be complacent. We should never think that we've got the best possible system for doing anything. We should always be looking at, it's a bit like Formula One, I guess. You can always make that extra tweak to the systems that you've got and you find that extra bit of performance because if you don't keep tweaking and finding that extra bit of performance, then others will. You know, we're in a very competitive industry. We're in a very competitive attention space. You know, you think about the amount of things that are competing on your phone for your attention all the time. How can how can we cut through and make sure that that our content is getting in front of you and getting your attention? Um, so you know, the moment that we that we stop tweaking and we stop trying to to make things better, you know, we'll we'll take four steps backwards because someone else has taken taken the steps forward. Uh, all all regional publishers are working hard to secure a a sustainable future for regional journalism. What does a sustainable future look like for you? I think for me, it's um you know we we've got to really get close to our readers and understand what they what they like reading and and also not treat readers as just one big bucket of readers you know we need to be able to to segment for them both just in terms of the the advertising um but also in terms of things that that they might want to read and they might be interested in and i think we've got a great opportunity as reach to be able to do that because we have we have such a diverse portfolio um, and diverse mix of, of content and also communities that we serve. So we've got a great opportunity there, um, you know, to find that that sustainable future. And I think you become sustainable by being relevant to people. If you're relevant to people, then you'll be sustainable because they're willing to read your content. They're willing to engage with you and, and they'll stick with you um, if they feel that you're relevant and they feel that they can trust you. And I think, you know, I like to think our brands are, are very trustworthy. They're very respected and they're trusted in their communities. Um, and we should never take that for granted. Um, and we always need to work hard to maintain that. Um, but I think we've we've shown with the um, the live brand and with its expansion um, that we have got a model um, that is allowing us to invest and uh, and become sustainable. So we've got to keep keep doing that, keep working, um, and keep tweaking it and learning lessons as we go. And and the playing field is always changing um, because, you know, you can't ignore Facebook and Google. You know, they are they are where a lot of the audience is. And it's important that we get in front of them. Um, obviously, we we seek agreements with those platforms around, um, you know, content. Um, but there's also the fact that we are one of many Facebook pages across the world trying to get attention in that in that news feed. It's important that we we're on top of any changes that are made and, and make sure that we're we're doing it. We shouldn't just pull up the drawbridge and pretend they don't exist. Uh, I think that's the worst possible thing that we can do because it's important that our content is on there um, and that people are reading it and engaging with it because it's trusted, good local content. Uh, so it needs to be on there. And in terms of revenue models, do you, do you see a future in the the subs route? Um, you know, getting people to pay to access local news. I think potentially, I think you should never rule anything out. Um, you know, at the moment, it's it's quite clear that, that our model is, you know, is working well for us in terms of um, building an audience of scale and then an engaged audience underneath that through our for our customer value strategy. Um, people are registering with our with our sites. Um, 
in a number of different ways through newsletters um, through in your area through comments uh, through lots of different ways so while we have that audience of scale we're also building that that registered users uh, base underneath it which forms our our customer value strategy um, my personal view is I do think potentially there are areas where people may be willing uh, to part with some cash for for some premium content uh, and we have uh, run some experiments in the past on that um, but I think I think there's still definitely uh, the model to, to be proven there um, and, and whether it works out will, will remain to be seen um, but we're confident in the route that we're heading uh, and I think that increased data that we have about our, our readers is is useful, not just for our commercial uh, side of the business, but also um, for our editorial side of the business. Uh, the more we know about the people that we're writing for, the better um, we can produce content for them. Now, we might have already touched on this, Ed, but if you look at the wider regional news sector um, in, in its entirety, where, where do you see the main opportunities? I think we're we're showing where those opportunities are with our launches last year and obviously uh, the launches coming this year as well. I think the fact that we were able to launch uh, three new three new live brands during the course of a pandemic uh, and also invest uh, in new local roles as well. Um, you know, we we see the opportunity being to to complete that that geographic portfolio for us. Um, that opens up new audiences for us uh, and new opportunities to engage with them. So, um, you know, that's that's the route we're we're heading in, and, and we've made that we've made that commitment. Uh, we obviously made the announcement earlier this year that, that that's what we were doing. Um, you know, mine and my team's job now is, is to get the job done with that. You know, been working. Well, I've been working on expanding this this live network alongside a lot of our other senior people. You know, for a number of years now. Uh, you know, it's time time to finish the job in terms of getting all these locations um, served by our live network. Um, and then that becomes a really exciting proposition that we've got that scale and footprint across you know, the entirety of England and Wales. We have our Scotland division and our Ireland division as well. Um, and I think that's really exciting um, and great opportunities for our own teams as well in terms of their progression. It means that if you work for Reach, you can work anywhere in the country. You know, and I think that's that's a fantastic asset for us to have uh, as a as a company. You know, our regional division, our nationals division, Scotland, Ireland, um, as well. I think that's a really exciting place to be uh, as a company, and and opens up lots of new opportunities uh, as we start to to increase the amount of registered users uh, that, that we've got on our sites. It does indeed sound very exciting. And finally, Ed, outside of work, a question we ask all our guests: um, How do you relax? This is the hardest question, James. You know, I, I genuinely, I was like, I was like, I've we we we've just we've just got a, a new puppy, and so she's twelve weeks now. I've got a four-year-old daughter. My wife's retraining as a midwife, so I mean, I the, the time I get to relax, um, I'm not allowed to relax a lot of the time, James. Um, I think for me, uh, I, I found that really hard during the last year. It's so much harder to relax, um, especially when you know, you think back to Halloween and Boris Johnson calls a press conference on Halloween and I'm there taking my daughter to be trick-or-treating, you know, socially distanced trick-or-treating. And then you're getting all these notifications from the team that there's going to be a government press conference and we might be going back into lockdown, um, you know, and you're like, it's a Saturday night. What is going on? And I'm trying to trick-or-treat with my daughter. Um, uh, so, you know, I think, 
you know, I found that really hard. And I, I think that's that's been hard for a lot of our teams, um, you know, during the lockdown, because your, your natural ways to relax, you know, going to the pub, taking the family out, even just to a soft play centre. Uh, I'm not sure you can relax in a soft play centre, but, um, you know, it's just those natural things can't happen. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to, uh, you know, May the 17th and, and some sort of normality coming back. Um, one thing I, I do love doing is taking my daughter swimming. Um, we've been ta- I've been taking her with a with a friend of mine, and he's got a daughter the same age. Um, and we've we've been taking them swimming since they were three months, uh, and they're really confident and competent in the water. And it and it's just you know it's great fun because you can't take your mobile phone in the swimming pool, you can't be contacted, um, and that for me is you know a great a, a great a great hour time slot in the week because of COVID. You're only allowed an hour time slot. You've got to be in and out and and all of this kind of thing. Um, you know, and to me, that's that's always a, a really nice part of the week that, I've, you know, it's like a safe, that's a safe part of the week. Um, yeah, and also where I am in, in Preston in Lancashire, we're close to the Lake District um, and obviously the Yorkshire Dales as well. Um, getting out for a walk this Sunday, hopefully with a with a mate, we're going to do one of the Yorkshire Free Peaks. Um, you know, there, there, there's nowhere better to really think about things and, and chat through things than, uh, than trudging up a mountain. Um, and I, I lost my father during the pandemic and we used to go fell walking um, uh, a lot. So for me, it's a it's a chance to do something that, that my dad loved and, and bring a memory back. Uh, and, you know, some very happy ones at that. Um, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. Thanks for having me, James. Pleasure. We would like to thank Advantage CS again for sponsoring this podcast. Advantage CS has been developing subscription management solutions for the information industry since 1979. The comprehensive functionality, adaptability and scalability of its software helps leading publishers around the world manage their businesses more effectively. Find out more at AdvantageCS.com. Many thanks to Ed for a fascinating insight into the challenges and opportunities facing regional news media. He's surely right that relevance and trust are the keys to a sustainable future. To find out more about Reach's stable of titles, go to reachplc.com. If you want to find out more about In Your Area, then go to inyourarea.co.uk and put in your postcode, and all will be revealed. As Ed mentioned, we interviewed his colleague, Emma Callahan recently. You can hear that podcast and others at inpublishing.co.uk slash podcasts. Thank you for listening and do join me in two weeks' time for another In Publishing podcast. Bye for now.